You're listening to a podcast from Every Nation Canberra. In this message, Pastor Joe Sulit uses John 13 verses 34 to 35 to talk about our biblical calling to love one another. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see all of you today. It's good to see families complete today. Welcome to Every Nation Canberra. We are a family of churches, global churches, that exist to honor God by establishing Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, and socially responsible churches and campus ministries in every nation. And if it's your first time here, welcome. Let's get right into the Word today. Today, I want you to remember just three words. Love, one, another. Three simple words that are so easy to say, yet in reality, so hard to live out. I want you to remember this because this was part of Jesus' final instructions in the upper room after the Last Supper. The Bible describes it as the new commandment. It is mentioned 13 times in 12 verses in the New Testament. And today, we read it in John chapter 13, verses 34 to 35. Love one another. Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The central theme of this verse is love. We've all heard love others as you love yourself. What's different in this command is that Jesus has set a new standard for love. Love others as I have loved you. But notice, Jesus mentions the phrase, one another, three times. The love that Jesus expects of us is to be demonstrated and exercised towards one another. What is the definition of one another? Mirren Webster defines it as each of two or more people who are doing something together or in relationship to the other. One another is about people doing something together. This points out to one of the most essential elements of one another. One another can only exist if there is a relationship. You cannot have one another if you're just by yourself. You may be someone here who's the type of person who's eager to get into relationships, build friendships, or you can be very selective in your relationships. But regardless of how small your world looks like from the perspective or the context of a community, we are all in a relationship with someone, whether we like it or not. There are 59 one-anothers 
in the New Testament. Encourage one another, live in peace with one another, bear in love with one another, have compassion over one another. Fifty-nine things in the Bible that commands us to do towards another person. The reason Jesus said one another and the reason the Bible mentions one another is because these are things that we do out of an overflow of our relationship with Jesus. But this cannot exist. This cannot happen. In order for us to fulfill this, there must be a relationship. Let me ask you something. Why are you here today? I hope you're not here just to feel good because you have fulfilled your obligation to come to church, worship God with fellow believers. I hope you're not here because it's something that you feel you need to do because you profess that you are a Christian. I hope that you understand that you should be here because first, you know, you believe, and you love. Jesus. My prayer this morning is that we would all understand that we were not created to live alone. Because these are one another's that were mentioned in the Bible that are meant to be lived out in the context of a relationship. God wants you to be part of a community. Why? Because God himself is a community of three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They exist in perfect unity. How do we know this? Let's go back to the very first book of the Bible. After speaking creation in the first 24 verses, first 25 verses, take note of what God said in the next verse. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. In the next chapter, God said, let us make man in our own image, after our own likeness. God was not alone when he created man. We read in the Bible, God said, let there be light. God said this and that. But listen, let us make man in our image after our likeness. After this, he said, it is not good for a man to be alone. This passage is often used in the context of marriage, right? Because he created Eve after this. But it also speaks of our fundamental need to be connected with others in a community, in human relationships. Now, what is striking about this statement is that God said this even before there was sin and there was disobedience. Adam and Eve have not taken of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and bad, which means that man was living in perfect harmony, in perfect intimacy with God. Yet God said, it is not good for man to be alone. 
Imagine you're living in perfect intimacy with God, yet God said, it's not good for you to be alone. Much as some of us would rather be as private as we could be, and I understand why, we, whether we like it or not, are created for community. Our job is not to grow this church in numbers and church attendance because it is in God's hand that this church will grow. Our mission is to share the gospel to those who are not here today right at this very moment. And we cannot do this if all we do is sit here week in and week out and feel good about having been able to come to church. One of the reasons that we gather is for us to scatter. We know of the Great Commission. The primary activity of the church should be one anothering one another. And we cannot one another one another if we're sitting in rows like this. The reason we only meet every other Saturday is primarily because of this so that we can have the opportunity from, to go from these rows to circles of genuine relationships, communities that are centered on Christ, so that we can intentionally create more spaces for one another. And if you've been part of this church, you experience that and you know that. We go to the park, we, some of the men go on biking, some women would prepare breakfast, two or three hours in the morning on a weekend. That is church. That is community. Jesus didn't say this. By this, they will know that you are my disciples if you go to church every weekend, if you read the Bible every day, and pray to God every day. He said, by this, you will know that you are my disciples. They will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This love that Jesus calls us to is not the abstract, romantic kind of love. It's the love that can only happen if we are in real, intimate relationships with one another. But not everyone is open to such, as we all know. From experience, deep, face-to-face, life-on-life relationships, we all know that. It can be very, very messy. And we've all had bad experiences with friends, with families, with people we trusted. Many of us would rather not complicate our lives with messy relationships, right? Let's admit it. Sometimes it's better to live a simple life with lesser people around us. It's less stressful, less toxic, less emotionally draining than being with people who are very, very difficult. And we all have people who are difficult in our lives. Just have to look at the person beside you, right? <laughs> Sometimes only, all right? You don't have to look farther away. The one another's mentioned in the Bible apply to the very relationships that we have right now. It applies to your wife, to your husband, to your children, to your parents, to your in-laws, to your friends, to your co-workers, sometimes even to strangers that you just met a few minutes ago. One of our key one another verse that we will tackle is very straightforward. It's from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. It says, Be kind to one another, 
tender-hearted, meaning compassionate, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now listen to this. Even if you think the person beside you, your wife, your spouse, your fiancé, even if you think you know them so well already, there will still be times that what's going on in his or her mind or in her heart is completely alien to you. Someone once said, we seriously don't have any idea what people are dealing with in their personal lives. So let's just be nice. It's that simple. Since we are continuing this series throughout Valentine, the month of February, let's focus on this verse in the context of our personal relationships. Paul, in his letter to the church in Ephesus, was reminding believers to be kind to one another, to be compassionate, tender-hearted, and be forgiving to one another. Take note, the kindness mentioned here doesn't have any conditions attached to it. The kindness that we show others should not be dependent on who they are or how they made you feel. We are commanded to be kind to one another, period. Not if, but be kind to one another, be compassionate, be forgiving, period. I know this is easier said than done because this goes against our popular attitude. Be nice to me, I'll be nice to you. And you know what comes after that, right? What if they're not nice to you? What do you do with difficult people? And I'm saying really, 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 really difficult people. Why are the husbands laughing? Or is it the wives who are laughing? Should you still be nice and kind? Well, it's easy to say yes, but yes, you should be. 30 years ago, I had the opportunity, so I'm 54 now, do the math. I had the opportunity to travel to Japan to join a DJ contest in Yokohama. And one of the radio stations that sponsored that contest gave us CDs. So this is exactly the CD that I had in 1990. The artist's name is Maria Jima. And one of the songs that I particularly like in this album is a song called, Who's Right, Who's Wrong? And I found out that this song was written by Kenny Loggins. And I'd like to read, not sing, part of the song to you. I've grown tired of fighting. Whether you're right or wrong, whether I'm weak or strong, in your eyes. Can you picture this with your spouse or with someone you know? Because this is a lonely feeling, watching you turn away. Why does it have to be this way? On and on tonight, you made the point of being right, making this a game instead of love. Husbands and wives, right? On and on and on and on tonight. You should know where this goes. The song says, someone's heart will be surely broken before too long if we keep on playing this game of right or wrong. You know why this struck me? 
In our relationships, the reason why we feel bitterness or resentment towards another person is when we feel that we have been wronged, right? When we feel we have been offended, when we feel like we have been misjudged. And our first recourse is to stand on a moral ground and prove that the other person is wrong, to prove that the other person did something that broke our hearts. Now, I truly believe this. And I keep on saying this over and over again to my family and my children. Sometimes it's better to be kind than to be right. In an argument, for example, the lie of the enemy is to make you feel two things. Either you're right or you're wrong. And being in either condition has its dangers. Why? If you think you're right, then pride will get in the way and give you a sense of entitlement. You feel you're entitled to say harsh words and be rude to the other person. Because you're the one who's right anyway. What if you're wrong? If you're wrong, conceit can still creep in. Why? Because instead of saying sorry and asking for an apology, admitting your fault, your pride would make you raise your guards up and try to defend yourself all night, all day, even weeks. Remember, in an argument, the enemy wants to put you in a place where one is right and the other is wrong. You cannot both be right or both be wrong. Otherwise, it will not be an argument but an agreement. If you're both right, then well and fine. That's good. If you're both wrong, then you make amends, do something about it, joke about it, and move on. This is what happens. When the enemy successfully takes you to a place where one is right and the other is wrong, then a bitter battle begins. We've all experienced this. We've all been through these fights and whatnot. No one really wins. Someone once said the best way to win an argument is to avoid it. But sometimes we can't. Why? Because we are not called to fight with one another. First, because our battle is not against flesh and blood. You have to understand you're not fighting with a person. You're not fighting with your wife or your husband or your children or your parents. The Bible says our fight is against the spirits, the principalities in the heavenly realms, Evil, whose sole objective is to deceive our minds, thinking that we are at war with flesh and blood. We are not. The person you're fighting with is not an antagonist. That person is a victim, and you are a victim too. Secondly, fighting, as we all know, causes division. The enemy wants to divide us. It's easier to break a single chord than a multiple, double, or triple chord. Once we are divided in bitterness, hatred, and resentment, and unforgiveness, then it's easier for the enemy 
to deceive and devour us. As what the Bible says, he's like a lion waiting for the opportune time to devour you. Third and most important of all, the second greatest commandment next to loving God is to love one another. This is why Jesus said others will know if we are disciples, if we love one another. When we truly understand what Jesus meant when he said love one another, then the offense of the other person, it stops becoming an issue of who's right or who's wrong. But rather, the offense leads us to a genuine desire to do what is right. See, there's a big difference between trying to prove who's right or who's wrong and doing the right thing. We cannot say we love God. I'm sure if I asked you, you love God, you'd say yes. But if there's someone you hate, then you cannot say you love God and hate another person. That's not possible. It's not an either-or preposition. It's a one and the other preposition. You love God and you love others. You cannot say, I love God, but no, I, I just can't forgive that person. It's not possible. Love God and, it's not or, and love one another. Jesus is simply saying for us to make disciples, we need to be a disciple first. And the litmus test to our claim as followers of Jesus is if we love one another. The Bible tells us of the first two attributes of love. In the love chapter we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it is patience and kindness. Tell that to the person beside you. Patience and kindness. Most of us, honestly, even myself, we fail at this miserably so many, many times. We get easily offended. And when we don't overlook an offense, pride steps in. It consumes us even before we can be kind to our spouse or be patient with our children or even your parents. If being right becomes your priority over being patient and kind, then it's not love. It's not love for the other, but love for yourself. Sometimes it's better to be kind than to be right. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's better to be kind than to be truthful. Those are two different things. Being right and being truthful are two different things. We can exercise our being right without love, but we cannot be truthful without love. Being truthful means we submit completely to the authority of the Word of God. Truth is absolute. Being right is subjective, depending on the perspective of the person claiming. What is right to me may not necessarily be right to you, but what is true according to the Bible, the Word of God, is true and absolute. Now, many of you may argue and say, Joe, if I don't correct him, 
then it's not going to change. There will never be change. Who among you think this way? If someone has wronged you, let's just look at the context. Since it's Valentine, let's look at the context of relationships, marriages. If you feel like you cannot correct your spouse or your husband, then how can there be change? Makes sense, right? But here, we have to check our hearts. Again, I'm not saying it's about, it's, it's not about, I'm saying it's not about being right. I'm saying it's about being truthful. If the other person did something that is against the knowledge of God and the Word of God, then there is a time and place to rebuke, to correct a person with grace, with gentleness, and with love. Just the tone of your voice sets the entire soap, drama, opera, whatever you call it, in your marriage. Whenever you are feel drawn to be indifferent or bitter or resentful towards someone, whenever you are being tempted to take an offense to what someone did or someone said to you, remember, it's not about who is right. It is about what is true. And what is true is not based on your perception of what is true. What is true is not based on human philosophy or human reasoning. The truth is Jesus and every word written in the Bible. And the Bible says we are not created to live alone. The reason why there are 59 one another's in the Bible is because a big part of being disciples of Jesus is living this out with one another in love. You know, I have this mirror. I don't know if you have this. It's a mirror that magnifies whatever is in front of it five times. It lets you see the smallest pores in your face, right? It helps me when I'm plucking out my eyebrows because my wife gets really uh, uncomfortable. And I have, you know, sometimes you have a long eyebrow and you don't know it. And some, sometimes the person you're talking to is just so eager to pull it out. So, because I'm not really a person who looks at the mirror every day. And sometimes in a matter of three days, it just grows like three inches, right? And you don't know. <laughs> I carry this with me sometimes, but not all the time, right? I call it the Molfos, the mirror of love for oneself. In most of the situations we face every day, it is mostly ourselves that we see. We carry, unknowingly, we carry a mirror like this. And every time we look at people, every time we look at situations, it's always about how you made me feel. It's always about how you offended me. It's always about how bad you treated me. See? When you carry this with you, life and relationships will always be about yourself. And that is selfish. I believe that the challenge for each and every one of us today is to have the humility to just Set this aside. Leave it. So that we can be more mindful that people also have feelings.
It is not only us who get hurt. They also get hurt. So that we can be mindful of how we can be that change that we want to see in others. Sometimes we pray, God, change this person. You know, you would pray over him when he's sleeping at night. Change this person, right? <laughs> That's why Dondi lost most of his hair, according to Tonette, right? <laughs> oh, I love Dondi. So we can be more mindful of the change that we want to see in others. We first become that change. You know, there will be days when it will just be very, very dark. Where people around us are just impossible. When you are hurt, when you are offended, when you are pushed to the edge, remember, you always have a choice. You always have a choice to prove that you are right or to do what is right. And what is right? What is right is to be kind to one another, be compassionate and tender-hearted, be forgiving as you remember how God in Christ forgave us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for reminding us three words today. Love one another. Thank you for reminding us to be kind, to be compassionate, and to be forgiving. Lord, I pray that you would grant me patience in all my relationships. When I'm pushed to the edge, Father, help me to choose kindness over my pride, compassion over my selfishness, and forgiveness over my desire to prove that I'm right. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness for the many times when our response to those around us has lacked patience, gentleness, humility, or love. Lord, may our encounters with those around us be that of an overflow of your love, your grace, and your mercy towards us. May many people come into a lasting relationship with you. Lord, be glorified as we rely to you completely to help us walk with kindness, with compassion, and with forgiveness to one another. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. You just heard a message from Every Nation Canberra. For more podcasts and for more information on Every Nation Canberra, please visit everynationcanberra.org. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash everynationcanberra and on Instagram at instagram.com slash encanberra. We meet every second and fourth Sunday at 104 The Valley Avenue, Gungalin. Would you like to be connected to a tag group? 
Email us at everynationcanberra at gmail.com.